We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. The Mark Reardon Show. The man's got guts. He's got oranges the size of beach balls. I don't care what corporate media outlets say. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what big corporations say. Here I stand. I'm not backing down. This is the Mark Reardon Show. Well, hello, St. Louis. Good afternoon as we are actually wrapping up a pretty nice day. A lot of sunshine out there. Hopefully people get out to enjoy it. Sue and I were just kind of talking about the weekend because the weekend is forthcoming very, very quickly. It looks like, uh, ooh, tomorrow's going to be cold, Sue. I don't think I like that. Tomorrow's high only 27. Wait a second. So we're at okay. We're at 48 degrees uh-huh. right now. We're at 48 degrees. That is the uh, the high temperature. Feels like 44. In case those of you are just saying, oh, it's not 48. It it's lower than that. <laughs> it feels like 44, but down to 11 tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I had a I had a diet coke that was uh, apparently in the garage because there were some ice chunks in it, <laughs> the one that I grabbed from what, the house today. I left something in my garage, uh, you know, just a glass of water with some ice in it, mm-hmm. and I came out hours later and it was pristine, and the ice was still there. So, yeah, it's not that warm. <laughs> but this is good. I mean, 25 tomorrow, we can get by that, right? 49 on Saturday, and then uh, 56 on Sunday, 56 on Monday, and we stay in the 50s for a few days, so that's not a bad thing. And I don't see any uh, snow on the way. I see rain, perhaps, for next week. All right, well, we're off and running here today. Today, and we got a bunch of stuff as usual that is set up for the show. Coming up um, here just in a little bit to start is Mark Milton, who is a tax attorney here, and we're going to talk about this legal dispute over the earnings tax in St. Louis. Um, Robin Kerner with the John Locke Institute wrote a great piece about the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated and how the unvaccinated probably at this point got it right. We have Heather McDonald on the show, Dave Simons to talk about the, um, the debt ceiling and the economy. Pretty good day on Wall Street today, so we'll talk about that. I want to start with something. There was a listener named Leslie that sent this to me on uh, Facebook Messenger, which is not even my favorite. I, I don't really like Facebook Messenger, but that's how people reach out to me if they don't have my, you know, my phone yeah. number. And I had not seen this. Now, we had talked about this case, Sue, so I think that this is going to be something familiar to you because it happened down there in the Carondelet neighborhood. In fact, I think Steve was talking about it yesterday, Steve Butts, yeah. um, about these the carjacking with like the 13 and 14-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So. This is a story that's in our local paper by Jesse Bogan uh, that cleared a few hours ago. And there's some things in here that are 
interesting and frightening and disappointing and maybe revealing. Uh, the Reverend Mike Coleman has pulled up to his Carondelet Baptist Church for 30 years, first as a visitor, then as a member of the historic South City Congregation. He volunteered on several fronts, worked for a custo- or as a custodian for 17 years before rising to pastor in 2015. He says, the people who come through here are so down home and honest. He's 62 years old. That's what he says of his flock. That's his hope for the two teenage boys who showed up Friday evening in the church parking lot on Virginia Avenue making demands. And the story describes it this way. At first, it seemed like a joke. The pitch of the voice was high. I'm thinking this isn't real. But the gun in my face was very, very real. Coleman said that he did what they told him and politely asked that they not do anything stupid because they were on camera. They quickly demanded his wallet, phone, and them assistance. Uh, first unlocked the club from the steering wheel of his wife's Dodge Caravan. Hey, people still use the club, right? Yeah. I guess it doesn't work if you have to unlock it for car jock- Jackers. Then directions on how to start the vehicle. He says, I didn't want to get closer to these guys. I was very cooperative. He said the boys drove too quickly down a steep ramp in the parking lot, knocking off part of the front bumper, losing control. They crashed into two cars. They abandoned the stolen vehicle. There is no way these guys had driven a car before, he says. So they flee on foot. One of them is 13, is in custody at the city's juvenile detention center. He's charged with first-degree robbery. That's a Class A felony. He's not being named in the story because he's a minor. Uh, But here's where it gets kind of interesting. In juvenile court yesterday, his mother testified that she's a nurse who lives in Florissant with three additional children. She asked that her son be released. I'm responsible enough to look after him at home, she told the court via telephone. Uh, Deputy Juvenile Officer Derek Crouch Jr. testified that the boy didn't have a prior history with the juvenile court system, but he argued that he remained detained due to the serious nature of the offense. Yeah, I think so. Good right? grief. I mean, yeah, keep the kid in custody because he's a carjacker and he stuck a gun in a 62-year-old man's face. Now, I don't care if he's 12, 13. I don't really care if these kids are 10 at this point. But the mom's calling the court, and I get that you have family obligations saying, you know what, uh, apparently she wasn't responsible enough, and you can't blame everything on parents, I get that, but these kids are young, all right? I I think I stopped blaming the parents when you're 16, 17, you're doing things, you're out of the house. 13 and 14-year-olds, she thinks she can control the kid in her house because she's mom when she couldn't do that, and they're out on a Friday night carjacking a minister in South St. Louis. So that's very confusing to me. Yeah. What happened? What was the result? Did they keep him, or did they let him go? Well, um... They, they kept him because the judge, Barbara Peoples, agreed with Crouch, describing it as one of the most serious acts that we yes. can have before us here in the court. I'm concerned about the community being safe as well. Yeah. So um, I guess he called in, too, and this is what he says. The, the reverend called into the court. Are they really just calling into the court these days because of COVID? Is that what's know, going on? I don't know, I guess. We are praying for him, his cohort, and his family. Crimes have to be paid for, whatever is fair, and just let it, let it happen. Um, he said he hopes the incident wouldn't define the boy's life. He wants him to rebound. I think that's fine, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, hopefully, I mean, you don't want to throw a life away when you're 13 or 14 years old. But it's not like they were just robbing a convenience store and grabbing some gum or something like that, right? Which isn't great either. No, but yeah, that, that's not armed great anything at age 13. Yeah, terrible. All right, uh, where should I start here? Let's let's. Well, that was my start, but let me get into some other things here, including a tantrum on the floor of the United States House of Representatives by AOC today. This was epic. Don't tell me. 
that this is about an abdic a, a condemnation of anti-Semitic remarks when you have a member of the Republican caucus who, have, who has talked about Jewish space lasers and an, an entire amount of tropes and also elevated her to some of the highest committee assignments in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single apology. Time has expired. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, she was going nuts. Now this is about Congresswoman Ilan Omar from Minnesota because uh, they voted to kick her off the Foreign Intel Committee. You know why they did? Because she's nuts? Yeah, well, no, she's nuts, but so is AOC. So is Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, if we're being honest, she's referring to Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's kind of kooky, too. But the, the important point that Kevin McCarthy makes is, look, this is the Intel Committee, right? This isn't just—and he's not kicking her off all the committees. Based upon what she had said, the anti-Semitic comments, it's all about the Benjamins. The military in America is equal to Hamas and the Taliban. On 9-11, something happened that day. These are all things that are in her record. Oh, my gosh. You didn't hear the 9-11 something happened that day? That's a classic. Oh, my God. Even the former Democratic chair of the committee believed her comments were wrong. When a um, resolution was brought up to deal with this last time, she never apologized. They changed the resolution to say anti-Semitism is wrong. We're not removing her from other committees. We just do not believe when it comes to foreign affairs, especially the responsibility of that position around the world with the comments that you make. I don't think that's unreasonable. No, I I don't think that's unreasonable at all. But Rashida Tlaib, uh, another one of the squad members, actually broke down in tears over this today. In the same week, they introduced a bill to ban federal employees from engaging in censorship. Where are the free speech warriors today? The hypocrisy is obvious to the American people. No. You are showing who you all are, really. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar will not be silenced. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar, the gentlewoman's time has expired. That our country is failing you today through this chamber. The gentleman is no longer recognized. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? So here's the problem with with the way that she reacted in AOC, because what's going to happen, and it's already happening with the legacy media, is it's sort of like what happened with the um, advanced placement test in Florida with DeSantis. Those of us paying attention, people listening right now, you know what that was all about. All the, the you know, the queer ideology that, that shouldn't be in a high school advanced placement class, right? Maybe you want to study that in college. So they stripped it down. DeSantis wins that. And the left still wants to make it seem like he's, well, I'll just tell you this. Here, I got a good bite on this. Let me see. What was it today? Um, every once in a while. Here it is. Okay. They're, they're attacking him. They go, Absolutely nuts on this stuff. Governor Sanders has been very, very clear. He has what just appears to be a white nationalist agenda. He's basically sacrificing the education of a whole generation of people. He's trying for, for, the, for his ambition. That's just crazy. There, there's nothing that he's doing except taking out the indoctrination. There's, you can teach anything you want about the history of this country. You just can't bring in the Marxist ideas that Whoopi and Joy Behar and Good the rest. Grief. Well, here, here's what I would say about them. They're so dumb, and, and this isn't... Uh, it's just accurate, right? They're so dumb they have no idea what's really in these teachings. That's the thing that's disappointing about so many of the people that go out there and comment. Now, AOC and Rashida Tlaib, they're smart enough to know exactly what Elon Omar said, and they know exactly what she's about. So that's just a show of on course. the floor of the House. But I guess the point that I was going to make is the media will run with the show. The media is going to run because this is what they did with the uh, – 
the AP Advanced Placement course. It was, oh, look at Ron DeSantis. He's trying to be a white supremacist, not teaching kids about the true history of evil America. You know These what? colonialists. Same thing here. Look yeah. at the evil Republicans. Look what Kevin McCarthy did. You think they're going to play his reasoning for this about some of the tropes that she's bought into in her anti-Semitism? They are not going to do that. So good for Kevin McCarthy kind of sticking to his guns on this stuff. Now, we also have amazing news this afternoon about, well, this is going to come as a surprise, I think, to a lot of people, about this guy, Mr. Rogers. Sue, I didn't expect to be talking about Mr. Rogers. Well, this is from The Federalist today, and I thought this was quite the piece. Mr. Rogers, you see, we're finding out, tried to warn us about the dangers of transgenderism. We've dug up some clips here. He did a song, and I wasn't a Mr. Rogers Neighborhood kid very much, um, more Sesame Street, if you will. But he did a song back in the day that sounded like this. He used to sing this on the show. Boys are boys from the beginning. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. If you were born a girl, you stay a girl. Inappropriate. Mr. Rogers, are you kidding me? And I'm sorry for those people that I triggered. He goes on The Tonight Show. (laughs) This is kind of interesting. So he's on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I almost feel like we're at the point in in our lifetime where we have to explain who Johnny Carson was, right? Oh, I think you're right. Johnny Carson was a late-night talk show host that was a legend here in this country for many years, and he drank a lot, and then he left the show, and Jay Leno took over, and then David Letterman took over, and then Jay Leno was back, and did I sum it all up? I think that was it. Okay, anyway, he goes on The Tonight Show, and this is what he says. But the second verse is very important. Now, what's the second verse? Boys are boys from the beginning. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine, your body's fancy, and so is mine. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes children think that they might change. They might have to change after a while. But the second verse is very important. Now, what's the second verse? Boys- oh, I think, we miss, um, I think we did that twice, and that might have been my fault, so I apologize for that. But there he is. Um, Look at how much into the future Mr. Rogers was looking back in the 1970s, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Milton, who's a tax attorney, who is, I think, doing some great things when it comes to the St. Louis City earnings tax. And then Robin Kerner, who wrote about how the unvaccinated probably got it right here in the last couple of years. That's coming up. We have Sue's News in the next hour, Heather McDonald, an audio cut of the day, and more. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. 
We uh, are getting closer to the weekend, ladies and gentlemen, and that means the Reardon Roundtable tomorrow. We'll have Jane on the panel. Chris Goodson will be here. Former State Senator Jeff Smith. Paul Hall will be in on entertainment. Frank Cusimano tomorrow. Uh, we'll have Tim Summer, our friend who is a music journalist, former record company exec. We'll talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and a lot of other stuff as well. We, we lose Fred tomorrow. You know that's. I don't uh, care. Uh, for how about it. old Fred Bottenheimer over there, ladies and gentlemen? Well, I got to be clear. When I say lose, I mean he's not leaving the planet or anything, but he's he's taking some days off, which is very rare. And I've encouraged this over the years. I think he needs more time off. But then when it really happens, I get kind of pissed. None off. None of us like it. No, I don't like it at all. Mm-mm. So, but he's he actually is supposed to be off today, and he's here because he's got to do a bunch of this. He's going skiing. Stuff. Yeah. I sent you. You think he's listening right now? I gotta I say, I have to say something when he's not listening. Let's just assume that he's not listening Wait, because I my don't see him out okay, there. my friend John who is, is in Utah. Listening? Oh, Abby says he's he's not. Okay, good. So my friend John is in Utah right now. He's skiing. He uh, he gets dropped in on it. Look at these pictures. They're oh stunning. Oh my gosh, right? that's stunning. Like he gets dropped in on a helicopter. Holy cow! So I get a message last night from because he's I'm taking him to Springsteen and the tour started last night. I said, hey, I was reporting in. He goes, he sends the picture. He goes, epic day until one of the dudes broke his hip they had to call the helicopter to airlift him out like and i sent that to sue last night i said i don't think i'm going to tell fred that one oh right? please don't <laughs> although maybe well no, it's a cautionary no, tale yeah. well he i think the last word i heard is that he's going to stick to snowshoeing then okay well, well okay then that that's fine yeah. okay godspeed fred. what could happen i don't know we'll find out though something might uh I love this story so much just because I hate the earnings tax so much. And I was someone who did my show for an entire year from my home, only having to come downtown once or twice here to the uh, building. It's hard to believe that we even did that. I don't know. Sue, you were at home for a while, too, weren't you? Yeah. 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 Um, Mark Milton is a tax attorney who represented uh, six people in this legal dispute over the earnings tax and remote work. He joins us this afternoon. Hey, Mark, how are you? Haven't spoken in a while. Mark and Sue, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. And I will say, one of the highlights of my career was getting a text message from Fred Bottomer asking me to come on today. So. <laughs> it should be. It should be a highlight Mark, for sure. Mark, we totally get that. Yeah, we do. All right, maybe just a little background here in how uh, you got involved in this case. And, you know, you had, you had a victory recently, and maybe we'll get into some of the other broader issues as well. But maybe some background to start off here, Mark. Sure. Uh, as you know, I mean, for many years, the uh, collector of revenue has issued refunds to non-residents for days they worked outside the city. So take a step back. So residents of the city are liable for the 1% earnings tax, no matter what. If you live in the city, you're liable for it. If you're a non-resident, the law says that you're only liable for the earnings tax for work performer services rendered in the city. It has the language in the city. And so if you could show to the collector that you worked a number of days outside the city during a tax year, you would fill out a form and you would have your employer certify the number of days you worked outside the city. And that could have been travel days, teleworking, whatever. They didn't make you specify. Um, They would give you a prorated refund of the earnings tax based on those number of days. Well, when the pandemic hit, you know, in March of 2020 and everyone was told to stay home, I think the city uh, slowly realized that, oh, gosh, we have a lot of people uh, who pay the earnings tax that are non-residents who live outside the city, and they may start teleworking from home. And if we continue to issue refunds in accordance to law, we got a big problem on our hands because 75% of the earnings tax gets paid by non-residents, right? So whenever it comes up for renewal every five years, well, why wouldn't city residents vote to, <laughs> vote to keep it if it's being paid by other people? And so at some point midway through 2020, the collector issued a statement saying, uh, we know we've given refunds in the past for teleworking days, but because of the pandemic, 
uh, employers are required to continue withholding the 1%, and we're going to treat your prior place of employment uh, as, as basically you're still virtually working in that location. Therefore, we're no longer going to issue refunds. And so we were onto this issue pretty early on. Um, but, of course, you know, people didn't apply for these refunds until tax season. So you're thinking January, February, March 2021, people are starting to get their W-2s, starting to apply for these earnings tax refunds, and they're told, sorry, we're not issuing refunds for teleworking days. And so Beavis, Shock and I teamed up on this case. Um, Beavis, as you know, uh, a big-time constitutional uh, scholar, uh, you know, very much uh, pro, pro taxpayer. Um, and so uh, me being a tax controversy attorney, we made a, made a good team and we made a number of claims, including both tax claims, but really constitutional claims. We felt like the collector knew he was violating the law from the beginning and did it hoping no one would, would challenge them in court. And we did it and we won a great opinion or a great decision from Judge Sennheiser basically saying that uh, the collector is violating the law, and you know the earnings tax says what it me- says what it says, which is you're only liable for days physically worked inside the city. So are they, they're appeal- the city's appealing that though, right, Mark? At this point, we don't know. Mark. Oh, okay. Um, so the the ruling was on January 19th. Um, we have reached out to uh, the collector and the city, trying to understand where they're going to uh, whether they're going to appeal. But I'll tell you, I mean, this opinion is very thorough. It's very well-reasoned. Uh, we have a copy of it on our website, um, com, And, you know, it's, it's 17 pages. It goes through the history of the earnings tax, how the collectors always issued these refunds. It sort of talks about the collector's position that, oh, well, I could have always collected this in the past, but I chose not to. You know, what tax collector says that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who takes that position? Um, so sort of absurd arguments that they've made. Um, and, you know, we think that his opinion, while it's subject to uh, what they call de novo review on appeal, uh, will ultimately be upheld. So the big question is whether we appeal the denial of class action so people like you and Sue can uh, be part of the people who recover in, in our case. Hey, Mark, wasn't there an issue in Kansas City or was it Kansas City that actually refunded automatically this earning tax? Did you guys cite that? Yes, we did cite that. They didn't do it automatically, but they did They did take an early position that they were going to continue to issue refunds because they knew that that was the law. And that's, you know, what makes this so frustrating is, you know, we didn't have – we should have had to file this lawsuit. The city um, knew they were wrong, and they did it anyway. And that's just not the way you should treat uh, businesses. It's not how you should treat people who are coming to work in your city. And uh, it's unfortunate they took this approach. I think it was a huge mistake. And it really, I think, raised the awareness of this refund, because I don't think a lot of non-residents even realized they could apply for this refund um, for days they worked outside the city. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I talked to Beavis about it last year, that was one thing that sort of struck me. Let's kind of get into the, uh, you mentioned class action. So what, what, clear up questions on that. I'm not quite clear on what what the next steps might be and what does that mean if you take it to class action that means other people can get on board and if they feel like sue and i that we have taxes coming back to us they can sign on to that particular case right well so to be clear when we originally filed this case we asked the court for class certification because we felt like this is not your run-of-the-mill tax case um there's some bad case law out there that says in a tax refund suit you can't get class action but that's where our allegations about the conduct 
really goes to more constitutional claims where you would be entitled to a 1983 action, which we just saw recently, right? The city now having to pay out $10 million in a class action, uh, uh, the, the police abuse case that just, that just settled. Um, for the and protesters, so that's where we that's were right. arguing yeah. for class. Yeah. Yeah. So we were arguing for class action because we don't really know until we can do discovery on that. We don't even know who all was really harmed by this because you may have had people that went to the collector's website, saw the refund form telling them they could not include teleworking days and then just decided not to do it. Right. If a government official sure. tells you you're not eligible, that's, you know, that's government conduct that, you know, if you prove that they knew it was unlawful, that should give rise to constitutional claims. But early on in the case, a different judge dismissed the class action count saying you can't get class action. It's a tax refund case. And so that's one of the things we would appeal. But until, you know, we get class certification, you know, unfortunately, we just can't take on representation of every single person who's been affected, which also goes into why class is important. But, you know, right now we only represent the individuals uh, named in our lawsuit unless an appellate court says, hey, that was wrong. They should have been able to get class certification and do discovery on those issues because that would certainly, you know, then we would at least know who all submitted claims, who had submitted claims in the past, right? Because if they submitted a claim in the past, that's probably demonstrative of they would have done it in the future if not for the unlawful refund form. So that issue is still up in the air. We're going to do everything we can to try to get class status, but certainly anyone who thinks they're entitled to a refund can still pursue their own refund claims. Um, we have a website, stlrefund.com, that we're going to be uh, posting updates there um, about sort of what we think people could do to try to um, at least uh, try to assert a refund claim. And, and, and you can file your own small claims action. That's what a couple yeah. people did. And they were successful. So, so like, how much would this yeah. apply to the last couple of years from this standpoint, from 2020, March of 2022, March, I'm sorry, yeah, March to about March or April of uh, 2021 is when I worked out of the house. That's, you know, that whole year that right. I came back when they flipped me over here to 97.1. I bring this up because now I've worked downtown for almost two years coming back. But we have people even in this building that used to come in on a regular basis, salespeople or whatever. They're not coming in. Nope. You know that that's true with downtown. You can just feel it when you're downtown, Mark. You probably know this. You, there's not as much traffic. Sure. So in, in the last two years, I, I, I'm sure you have a fair amount of people that they're not working in the city. So does that apply to what you're doing or is that completely separate? Like if there is class certification, would that come under that umbrella? Potentially, yes. So we have 2020 tax year and forward. So okay. if you were if you were working from home and you had the 1% withheld for tax years 2020, 2021, and 2022, I would say that you would potentially be part of that class again, if we're successful on appeal. And certainly if you had earnings tax withheld from your pay by your employer, because a lot of employers were afraid not to do it, right? And that's what AT&T has a similar lawsuit that we do um, because the city went after AT&T because they stopped withholding for certain employees who were changed to permanent telework. So that's a separate case, but you know, our, our decision will have precedent there. Um, but I mean, that, that's another thing that the city going after employers for not withholding sort of compelled those employers to continue withholding. And so if you had money withheld and you did not work in the city or you teleworked for a good chunk of days, you may be eligible for a refund and you should certainly submit some sort of protest, some sort of claim to the city for those days you worked outside the city. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and for, for me, it gets complicated because I, I am having, I did have all that, you know, pulled out of my paycheck, but also I had separate, you know, 
1099s from from people who are uh, clients and everything that I had to report. That's all changed. My whole tax status Right, it's all in but one. But I bring it up because I had to go through and pay, uh, in theory, for the people who were located within the city, and then it was still coming out of the payroll. I guess I'm saying I paid a lot of earnings tax in the city of St. Louis, <laughs> right? You know, I, I wonder how this would... Um, one of the things that happens that people are unaware of, Mark, maybe you can kind of chime in on this. Like, if uh, somebody comes to play... Uh, against the Blues or against the Cardinals, their payroll is deducted, right? With the the earnings tax applies to even those people that come in and play sports in St. Louis, I right? So, correct, and that's they are they are liable for that one percent. And what's also interesting is when you think about you know the Blues practicing out of Maryland Heights, you know they're they're theoretic, they wouldn't be liable for the earnings tax. They would only be liable for it for the forty one home games that they play in the city of St. Louis. So, you know, you think about that amount of money, um, if they're, you know, getting refunds or if the Blues aren't withholding, that's a, that's a major chunk of money um, that the city would be losing by the fact that, you know, they're that's, not they're only spending those 41 days in the city. Right. That's interesting, which which all goes to the uh, the ultimate point, which I've made over the course of the last 15 years. We need to get rid of the earnings tax. And Mayor Slay's administration, Jeff Rainford, they talked about that. And by the way, it was never and Mark, you know, this there's never any effort or idea to just pull this thing out, you know, and say there's no earnings tax. It's always going to be phased in over the course of 10 years. I do have a couple of people shooting back at me saying 75 your figure of 75 percent of the earnings tax comes from outside of the city that that might not be true. Do you, that seems like a high amount. Do you have that buttoned up? Is that an accurate figure? That is, that is, a, that is a st- statistic cited by the city in the past. Wow. So That's that, a that big is. chunk. And mm-hmm. even the Collector of Revenues Office reported that they estimate this case, you know, in terms of lost revenue, it could be 25 to $50 million a year. And to your point, what it really shows is that the earnings tax, you know, it, the reliance on out of non-residents to support the city's funding is not sustainable. And now this case has never been a war on the earnings tax, but um, the Good law example. is what it is. Yeah, Unless you right. go to the state legislature and have them change the authorizing statute, the city can't just change the law. It's only allowed to have an earnings tax because the state allows it. Right. And that's probably not going to happen with the Republican legislature. Interesting. Mark Milton, great stuff. I appreciate it. Keep us updated for sure, because this is very curious, I think, to a lot of people in the uh, in the area. Thank you. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Take Take care. care. All right, we have uh, Sue's News coming up in the next hour. Of course, Heather McDonald, Senior Fellow with the Manhattan Institute. Heather is always great on the uh, the race issues and policing. She's got a new book out called When Race Trumps Merit, How the Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellence, Destroys Beauty, and Threatens Lives. She will join us. That that book's going to come out Monday, by the way, or at least available for a pre-order. She'll join us right around 425 here on 97.1 FM Talk. Let's talk a little bit about the vaccine and who got it right and who got it wrong. Uh, Robin Kerner uh, wrote a great piece that I thought was extremely balanced and really effective in communicating points that I like to kind of latch on to just because I'm not an anti-vaxxer, if you will. I have some deep regrets about uh, maybe even myself overselling this vaccine in the summer of 2021. However, the more important point right now is you know, what happens in the future. And I don't even know if we need to argue about who got it right or who got it wrong. But I think Robin makes some great points in this piece with the John Locke Institute. Robin Kerner, how are you? Thanks for coming on. I am One FM talk. Yeah. You frame this. Let me, let me start this. You frame this around Scott Adams, who is the creator of Dilbert. I follow Scott on, um, on Twitter. He's very provocative on this particular issue. I will be honest. He's even confused me. I don't know if you've seen his feed today because he, he's talked about this point he was trying to make when it comes to the, unvaccinated versus the vaccinated and your 
piece that I read is essentially a response to Scott Adams, right? It, it, is, a, it, it is a response to Scott Adams' uh, question, how did you all get it right, uh, you unvaccinated? And time will tell. Maybe it already has told whether he was sincere in that, whether he was, um, you know. But I took him at his word. I took him at face value when he first asked that question. Um, And whether he is sincere in that, whether he's trying to make some clever, subtle, um, you know, point, whether he's trolling us or whatever it is doesn't really matter because I, I it was a great point. Yeah, I'm with you. Look, and I will tell you, I've spent a fair amount of time, and I'm not very smart, Robin, but I, I spent a fair amount of time trying to figure out exactly what his point was, and he kept telling people that it should be obvious, but it's not as obvious. But let's talk talk about what you wrote about. Your, your first point here, I think, is interesting, and I've never heard this, that some people have said that the vaccine was created in a hurry, and you, you say, well, that may or may not be true. Explain that. Well, a lot of work on mRNA and coronaviruses had been done in labs um, around the world, you know, before the thing hit. So this didn't completely come out of nowhere, even in the framing of, let's say, conventional sciences, science and con- the conventional narratives. Um, so, uh, so some work had been done. You know, there's a big lead time to generating a vaccine, and, and maybe in some sense 80 or 90% of the science had been done on that. But obviously it was rushed out at the end. Yes. Um, now, but, but the only reason I even mentioned that in my article is I don't need to know whether the whole thing was rushed or, or it mostly wasn't rushed. What, I, what is obvious, that, that the pertinent point is, it never underwent long-term testing. And that's the reason to be... Uh, was the reason up front to be cautious. The when, fact that yeah, it wouldn't have gone, undergone long time. Right, and I agree with that. But so the one people say, look, we, we were all in this moment, and President Trump was, was in this to a certain extent, the you know initial stages of the pandemic as well. Well, we didn't know what the hell was going on because we were lied to about a lot of stuff, and we know that now. But people were scared. They were confused. We see people dying. We didn't want mom and dad and grandma and grandpa to die. So we kind of get sucked in on this stuff. Now, a lot of people were um, ostracized for saying, look, I'm young and healthy. I don't need to be forced to take the vaccine. And I think the forced nature of it is really where a lot of the focus has been and, and justifiably should be, right? Correct. No, I absolutely agree. And, and most of what I wrote, most of this article, is really looking at, at the nature of that forcing. Because most of that forcing worked practically because of the censorship um, of, uh, you know, uh, information that didn't suit the coercers, the government um, there were a lot of things about it that didn't pass the smell test, right? There was, it wasn't being handled right. There was a lot of claims made, um, which were proved soon after those claims were made to be false. Did the people pushing the policy walk those claims back? Did they apologize? Did they retract them? No. Did the policies, did, exactly, did the policies change as the data changed? No. So all of this stuff was accumulating, and it should have made anybody go, um, well, hold on a minute. Can we trust? the source of these policies and the source of the information on which these policies is being based. And I'm saying no. Yeah. Well, and I have, you know, my, my only personal example of this is in the, um, in the summer of 2021, when the vaccines were being rolled up, I was uh, tasked by our state. There was money that was going to pay people to spread the word about the vaccine. I, um, I did that because I felt like the vaccine was going to help people. And what happened was, you remember, at first it was, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, right? I probably even Mm. said something stupid like that, Robin. I mean, I have to confront my own ignorance at this point. But in 
The early part of August of that summer, I started sending, I've told this story a little bit, I started sending emails to someone who used to work here and was the person who was the sales rep that was representing the um, the state who, you know, did the commercial buy for the vaccine. And I started mm-hmm. saying, look, I'm not comfortable with these talking points because they're not evolving. We, we know now that you can get the coronavirus if you've been vaccinated. So there was this resistance to changing the narrative when the narrative had to be changed, which was very problematic for me at the time. And I think that that sort of replicated itself throughout the country, you know, millionfold. No, you're exactly right. And I made that, that, you know, that point. Um, Yeah. I mean, all I can do is agree with you. I mean, the problem was, of course, once, once um, folks had already started buying in, you've got the whole cognitive dissonance thing at play, right? Once people have kind of publicly committed to a thing, just as a psychological matter, they are less likely to accept that the changing data and information make their previous statements wrong. Um, and we saw that, you know, and when it's just Joe Public, um, the average Joe, that's fine. But when it's the presidential Joe that's, that's pushing out these coercive policies, it's absolutely not fine because this is life and death. And, and, and our, you know, to put it um, in simple terms, the coercers will have been responsible for lifelong health issues and even death of some individuals. Yeah. And that needs to be faced. Yeah, well, it does need to be faced. And I think you can, and you make this point in your piece, Robin, that you, you could certainly make the case for those at high risk of, um, of illness, older people in particular. Let me ask this question. I'll frame it this way. Do you think it's possible, and I'm doubting even myself on this, but let me just kind of make it personally. Can you believe that the vaccine did save lives, that it helped a lot of people at the same time think that the force nature of it is ridiculous. Even a recent example, there's a kid that I'm working with, a young man who is my personal trainer at the Missouri Athletic Club right now, and he goes to school um, at night to SIU Edwardsville, which is across the river, not too far from St. Louis. Beautiful campus. But he can't even go to classes tomorrow if he's not updated on his COVID-19 shot. At this point, that's in the healthcare workers being forced to... Are, are we not, is it not obvious at this point that that's nonsense? I guess to a lot of people it's not. Yes, it's, it's beyond nonsense. It's approaching evil. Yeah. I mean, and frankly, I don't think anybody in a clear conscience can add their, the weight of their own moral agency to an organization, an institution, whatever it might be, that is doing that. I, I think you almost have a moral duty to, to leave. And I know that can be a great cost to people, jobs, as you say, education. I mean, it's a horrific situation we're being put in. But the only reason they can keep doing this is because they have enough compliance. This is a question of, it's one of those rare times that we face in our lives where your decision comes down to courage or compliance. Well, so we're at the point now, and I think about this from time to time because whatever else might come down the line, the level of trust in government, the level of trust in the CDC, I don't know if you can ever re- recapture that. Well, it was low anyway, probably. But at this point, there's so many questions. Yeah. You know, you don't even know what to believe, which is part of the problem. No, that's right. And I tell you what, if in the long run people are a lot more skeptical of these agencies, um, that might be the one small good that comes out of this nightmare. Be- because it's an absolute disgrace, a scientific disgrace. And I speak, I'm a, I'm a physicist by training, um, but it's a moral disgrace and a scientific disgrace. And the fact that they covered it up with, you know, moral and scientific platitudes. It's, it's just absolutely hypocritical and disgusting. I have no doubt that there are people, and I, I keep hearing stories that were affected by this vaccine and have very negative side effects, maybe obviously have even died. But also another question would be, can you hold the opinion that that's happening and not think that everybody that's dying at a young age is from the jab? 
Of course not. Look, <laughs> I, you, don't, you, you don't need to hold these absolutes. And, and you asked me earlier, I didn't actually give you an answer. Um, yeah, of course it is possible that people who have comorbidities that have this jab, who might otherwise have died with COVID, didn't because they have the jab. Um, that's possible, but it could still also be true that once all this plays out in the long run, there are more deaths or at least more net harm from the jabs than, um, you know, than net Net positives, right, right. Yeah, and that's to be determined. And it's because that's true that the coercion is evil. Well, and that's because if you even if you just look at the numbers that can't lie, you you got to a point last year in particular, I think a year ago, if you look at that, where the uh, the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated deaths were were relatively close in some situations. Right. I mean, but you've got to be careful because obviously there were, you know, you have more um, vaccinated people than unvaccinated. So you've got to weigh all these numbers. So, look, the data are still coming in um, and and they're hard to interpret. But. On data very, very early on, it was clear that the coercion, um, and certainly it was coercion you know, without informed consent because the information was suppressed, all of the relevant information, or much of it, um, that that was, well, that was a, an abuse of basic human rights. I mean, it's simple. Robin, who can look into this and, and maybe get answers? Because it's, it's hard to trust anyone. What do you hope you know, happens here? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and and I was talking about this uh, with some colleagues today. You know, the fundamental problem is too much trust has been put in uh, the wrong people by too many other people. Um, You know, what you were saying earlier about not trusting agencies, uh, you know, let's hope that's the case. I mean, this isn't an easy answer, but the truth is nobody is going to care for you better than you are. So you may not be a scientist. You may not, you know, have you know, knowledge of statistics. But when your life is on the line, when somebody is asking to put something in your body, just basic due diligence and common sense means you've got to give it your best shot. Don't just trust the experts because even scientists, um, their reasoning becomes motivated when what they're doing becomes politicized. And I have never in my life, uh, maybe with the exception of HIV, um, seen a disease, you know, some clinical or epidemiological issue becomes so politicized. So you, all of your red lights should be flashing and you've got to do your own work and you've got to trust your own instinct. And you know what? You may get it wrong. But if you're going to get it wrong, get it wrong yourself. Don't let somebody else get it wrong for you. Great advice. Robin Kerner, uh, who is currently the academic dean of the John Locke Institute. And for whatever reason, it's just the way that it is in the world, uh, in this country. These interviews always sound better with a British accent, Robin, so I appreciate that as well. (laughs) Thank Thank you. Have a great week. We'll see you. Take care. Absolutely. You take care, too. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 